All right, guys, we live in the golden age of best ball analytics. There's more people playing best ball than ever, and there's more people who want to get their hands on this data and try to solve this game than ever, which I decided means it's time to get a roundtable going. I want to bring in some of the guys in the best ball data streets, talk about what's going on, what's the next frontier for best ball research. So today on the show, I'm going to have Sam Hoppin and Ben Dominguez from Fantasy Data Pros. We're going to talk about the current state of things, also talk about the best ball data bowl, which some of you have heard me talk about recently on stream, a competition that I'll be hosting and helping judge where we want you guys to put your skills to the test, use using Python, using these advanced data resources, and come up with actionable submissions that help people like me draft in Best Ball Mania 4. So that is what we are doing today. And now I want to bring in my buddy Ben Dominguez here and Sam Hoppin. Ben, welcome uh, to the stream for the first time. Thanks for having me. And uh, Sam, you're uh, you're no stranger uh, to the stream, but it's been a while since we've had you on. You're now over at 4 for 4 these days. How are you doing? I'm good. It's uh, I had to dust off the the podcasting cobwebs and i don't know if i've podcasted much from this room given the uh curtain situation we had to deal with earlier but uh we're doing good excited to talk some best ball yeah and so i know a lot of people uh on the channel are uh are already familiar with sam but ben i think this might be uh your introduction to a lot of people although right. i know people have seen you floating around on twitter you've been doing lots of good threads within kind of the data in fantasy mm -hmm. space but maybe just give people a little background how you got started how you've carved out uh this little niche within the fantasy realm yeah definitely so i'm the founder of fantasy data pros and fantasy data pros is basically a website where people can learn programming and data science with fantasy sports. Um, so I started it back in January of 2020, uh, just posting tutorials on Reddit, got really popular, um, and people were asking me to release a course on the topic. And so I ended up uh, releasing a course on learning Python with fantasy football three months later, did really well. So I've been doing that for the past three years now. Um, and now we have three courses um, on learning Python with sports. We have a fantasy football one, uh, we have a basketball one and we also have a baseball one. And Sam, have I, did I actually see you and Ben kind of go back and forth about whether it was, was it R versus Python? What were you guys having a data argument about? Yeah, there are some coding wars that go on because his uh, best ball data bowl was in initially strictly Python. And I was clamoring for being able to add R code to, to it, but he, uh, I he let me, that. let me win that battle. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, there's definitely a debate Python versus R within the uh, analytics community. So, and for the people who don't know, and I, I might be asking for a friend here, but maybe just give me a high overview. What is Python? What is R? Why are they in the same family? Right. Why is that the the kind of the tools that we want these people using? So Python and R are both programming languages that are heavily used um, within the data data science um, sphere. Um, Python is a general purpose programming language, so it's not only used for data science, it can be used for a lot of different applications, whereas R is mostly specialized just for uh, data science. And um, some people think that R is better. Um, I think that R is personally like it's meant for statistical analysis, so it does really well at that. Uh, but Python, you can do a lot of different things. So you can build applications with Python, you can do data science. Um, because it wasn't just made for data science. So, And Sam, what was your experience when you were setting out to learn how to code for all the work you do? Were you debating between which program to learn? So I started 
in R because that's the tutorial that I found. There was a <laughs> tutorial with the the play by play data for the NFL that I use for ninety eight percent of my analysis that was written in R specifically. So I quote unquote grew up learning R and and to Ben's point, like there there are these jokes and jest about which language is better. I think what I always say is they're better for different things. I find R to be a lot better for data visualization. I think Python can be better for, for modeling or mm -hmm. large processing, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, it's whatever for those trying to learn, it's whatever works for you. It's whatever you're trying to do. Like there are things that Excel is better for than R or Python. If you're just like, trying to whip a table together or something like that, it's, it might be easier to do it in Excel type thing. So um, I, I love what Ben and, and all the other people are, are doing to provide these types of resources to learn whatever type of coding and in, in, in the context of sports, because I know, you know, having gone through classes the last couple of years, it's always easier to understand sort of what the, the tools and the code is doing when I understand the actual data and it's not just yep. widgets and gizmos. Yeah, that's kind and of the spirit of our site also. Like we're applying, we're teaching people Python through fantasy sports. Um, so when you understand the data and you're familiar with the data, um, it makes the learning process a lot easier uh, to Sam's point. Yeah, and I always think back to, so way back in the day, Sam might remember, and I did this podcast called Fantasyland, and we did kind of in-depth um, topics, kind of NPR style. And in one of the shows, we interviewed uh, an MIT professor, and she had actually done some data research. She was um, hired out, I think it was by FanDuel at the mm -hmm. time, to, they were, this was early on in the, you know, DFS ecosystem, and they wanted her to, like, look at some data. And, you know, I had this conversation with her where I was like, what do you say when people say, why are you spending so much time messing around with fantasy data? Shouldn't you be out solving cancer research? Shouldn't you be trying to solve cold fusion or global warming, all these things? And she said something that's always stuck with me. And she goes, it's really hard to get people motivated to learn skills in an arena they're maybe not naturally interested yep. in. And so if you can get people learning on fantasy data, something mm -hmm. they're actually passionate about, you never know how or where they're going to be able to port that knowledge over into something impactful. And so I think that is the cool thing where I've even done it on a very rudimentary level with Excel and now with ChatGPT where right. I'm teaching myself new skills because fantasy is the impetus for that. So I just love that idea of how it can bring you along and then you never know the other places you can apply it. Yeah, and the thing is if you learn Python or you learn R for fantasy sports, the tools you learn and the skills you learn are extremely transferable. So just because you learn it for sports analytics doesn't mean you can't also apply it to finance, to healthcare, to anything else, because it's really about learning the underlying tool. It doesn't matter how you do that initially. Sam, what, how do you, and what we're going to bounce around a bit today. One thing that is going to be at the center of this conversation, you can see our slick logo over Ben's shoulder here, the best ball data bowl. This is going to be the inaugural version. And uh, we're super excited to do this with underdog data, which again, talk about the thing people are most passionate about right now. It's solving best ball. So it seems like the perfect arena for uh, people to kind of get started with this, who want to get their feet wet. But mm -hmm. Sam, I'm curious too, like what has been your experience from, when you started learning this stuff, how daunting was it? Now you're far more proficient. Do you find yourself applying it more than you ever thought you would? Do you find the skills kind of snowballing as you learn more? I'm just kind of experienced or curious about your experience with it. It's 
it's a continuous journey. I mean, I'm still learning stuff every day about coding and, and, and data science and all that sort of stuff. I think it's, it is kind of crazy every year, you know, I'll think back to the, the first, very first chart I made and I think it looks extremely ugly and, <laughs> and how long it probably took me to do that versus how long it takes me to do that today. And it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it, it takes a lot of time and, and work on it. And I think there are a lot of resources again out there to, to help. I think, especially again, some of these, the things that Ben is doing and, and others with the tutorials and being able to ask others, but it is, I mean, I, I still know I have a ton to learn, even having finished my master's program. Like I know I'm not done learning data science concepts. There are things that I have learned in class, but haven't been able to apply necessarily, whether whether it's because of time or there hasn't been a use case for it, but it's it, it's something I'm never going to, to stop learning for sure. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, and there's something like there's something to that, like not even in data science itself, like in all of tech, like I, I don't only do data science, I also build applications. And there's like, it's like a never ending list of technologies I have to learn always. And it's if you like that, like if you're someone who really likes to learn new things, like tech is definitely something that might interest you because there's always something new to learn. Like you're never done learning new concepts in data science or technology at all. And Ben, I know with, you know, Fantasy Data Pros, you have courses for mm -hmm. different sports. And I'm curious just from your kind of even customer feedback and stuff, like mm -hmm. where people are coming from. Is it a lot of people who are, you know, aspirational fantasy analysts, data scientists? Is that the represent a large cohort of your customers? Um, it's mostly people that are just learn, looking to learn to code, um, not necessarily people who want to work in the industry. Um, so We've had a lot of people who have taken the course. Um, they've tried to learn the code. Um, they weren't getting it because they were just picking up books that just had like random examples that didn't really apply mm -hmm. to anything that they were interested in. And they ended up learning coding and stuff. And at the end of it, they ended up landing a job somewhere, but it wasn't necessarily in fantasy sports. And that kind of like ties back into the point that, um, you know, once you learn this stuff, it doesn't really matter what you apply it to initially like that stuff is transferable across industries. So you can learn, you know, Python for sports analytics, and then you can get a job in finance doing data science. It doesn't matter. Um, so we haven't necessarily had people get jobs as fancy analysts. And the majority of people who sign up are not looking to do that. They're just, they're just looking to uh, learn to code, essentially. Do you think, Sam, as someone who kind of carved out a path to become a full-time fantasy analyst, I, I assume you attribute a lot of your coding skills and willing to learn those new skills as what was able to to get you the job. Is that is that fair to say? It is. And it's, you know, I got pretty fortunate. It was, I think, very much a, a right place, right time sort of situation with having tied myself to, to 4 for 4 and then being bought out by Betsperts and expanding the team. I do think... You know, I did the majority of my learning sort of self-taught, at least to start, and then went to to school to advance that I think, you know, I get every once in a while people asking, you know, where do I start? What, you know, what do I do? I think this is sort of a blanket statement, but one, I mean, one place to start is obviously the courses and tutorials and, and things like that that you can find online. There's a ton of 
uh, great resources available. I think one thing, and, and I don't remember who said this, but just thinking of a problem, however simple or complex it is, and then trying to solve that with coding your data science, even if it's, you know, something that's already been quote unquote solved, like building a sports betting model or something like that, yeah. being able to build that and then see how it does recognize if it needs to be improved or, or tweaked and things like that. And then showing that work publicly. I mean, it, it's, it's very daunting. I, I still deal with imposter syndrome all the time because I see other people doing a lot of great work. So it's, it's very challenging to put yourself out there when you probably know there's other better work being done, but that type of stuff will get attention from the right people. It's, you know, showing a chart that isn't super pretty, isn't going to matter if what's in the chart is, is very informative and, and useful. So um, I think there's, there's a lot of way to, ways to go about it, that which is, I think, part of the great part about the industry and stuff like that. I, and I think there's, it's, it's a lot just about, again, finding your own way, what works for you, um, stuff like that. Yeah, and project-based learning is definitely the best way to learn. That's something I emphasize in my content a lot. Uh, personally, like whenever I need to learn a new programming language or a new technology, like I never just read a book on it. I never just take a course on it. I always try to think of it in terms of what can I build with this new technology? Like what sort of project I can do? And that's something I kind of emphasize in my content. So like our courses, for example, um, when we first introduced people to data munging with uh, pandas, um, which allows you to work with data, uh, kind of like Excel spreadsheets, um, the first thing we do is build a draft model. So I'm not just going to show them pandas or um, data science. I'm going to show them a specific problem that we're trying to solve and then try to get them to solve that problem. Because at the end of the day, programming languages can feel abstract, but at the end of the day, they're tools. And to learn to, to, learn to use a tool, you need to actually use that tool. You can't just read a book about it. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people too, and I'm sure there's an element of you see a really cool chart on fantasy Twitter, and it's almost like, how do I reverse engineer that? How do I get to that endpoint? Because you look at the data and you're like, you see these outliers or this compelling thing. But I think it is fun to then go through the course or go through that problem solving standpoint and be like, I want to make a chart that looks like that, that gets a bunch of engagement on Twitter. Yeah. And that's a really great way for people to start is just look at what people are posting on Twitter and just try to reverse engineer that. Try to make that yourself in Matplotlib or ggplot in R. Um, that's a really great way. For and I think that's a really good point that Sam makes about like imposter syndrome and like worrying that you're, I don't even want to say copying, but like everything across all disciplines, whether it's like sports or music or culture, like every band that I like sounds somewhat like the Beach Boys or the Beatles. Like it is okay to be iterative off of stuff that has already existed. And I even think about that specifically for what we're talking about with like Mike Leone's Best Ball Manifesto, which I think is the best piece of best ball data research that we've ever had in the space. It's so comprehensive, so actionable, so clear. And yet there are so many jumping off points, even from what he laid out, where you could get even more in the weeds on segmenting that data or pulling things out. And so it's like, don't let the fact that someone has already gone down a, a rabbit hole or whatever prevent you from further going down that. I really do think this stuff is like you land on the shoulders of the giants and then you press forward more on your own. Yeah. 
Yep. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, you know, I've been working on again. <laughs> funny you say it, working on building off something that Mike did in in his best ball uh, mania manifesto, and it's it is daunting because I know you know I'm pretty confident in saying that Mike is a lot. He has obviously has a lot more experience in in data science than than I do, but you know, do I? do it the right way. And even if, and I don't think there necessarily is a right or a wrong way. It's just explaining the methodology, explaining how you did it and letting, making sure people understand that because that's, that's really the biggest part. If, if you're doing it slightly different, there's, you know, it might not necessarily be wrong. It's just what you're most familiar with type thing. Makes sense. What, what it been like? I know when you launched these courses and mm -hmm. stuff, were you even familiar with best ball when you launched the fantasy football course? Is this like a new phenomenon that has even kind of surprised you a bit? Uh, it definitely is. This is actually my first year really playing best ball, like seriously. Um, when I started the course, I was pretty much, I just had like one redraft league with my college buddies. Um, so I wasn't like super in the weeds and the best ball content and stuff, but the analysis that's been coming out, uh, like part of the inspiration for, you know, starting this competition was seeing the data sets. Um, and it's really interesting data to work with, which has kind of drawn me to it. Yeah. And Sam, what, what do you think about it too? As someone, you know, a lot of stuff with season long, there just is an element to best ball. And I think it is the way these tournaments are structured where you basically have all these different things you're trying to accomplish and they actually kind of go against each other. It's like, Oh, just advance to the playoffs. But then that is going to hurt your chance to optimize to win in the finals. And there's this push pull and good arguments of, Oh, you want ADP value, but you also need to correlate, which sometimes means not getting good ADP value. What is it about best ball? Do you think that makes it such a fun puzzle to solve? It, I think it's a relatively new puzzle in, in a way. I mean, you have DFS as a tournament-based, well, I guess the tournament's not, not cash necessarily, but DFS is a tournament-based competition for basically up until BBM, best ball was, or I guess redraft leagues were just a sort of cash game, if you will. And I know the FFPC has had um, – their main event and stuff like that for years now, which is a tournament structure, but that's also managed where you get the chance to add drop players, set your lineup, all that sort of stuff. And with best ball, you only have control over what happens in the one hour or several days that you're drafting. And then it's completely out of your hands. And there are so many different things that can go on during the season, during the off season that, will change the results of the data, will change the results of the tournament, will just make it so much different than, you know, in a DFS slate, like, yes, you're going to have injured players and things like that, but the overarching concept of it is not going to, I guess, change that much within the one-week scope of that, that tournament. So, again, you have now with, uh, with Underdog adding the regular season prizes like that changes things too so there are while the tournament structure is the same relatively i mean they're changing how many teams are advancing in, in each round that's a new added layer of again what you're saying of like do you sacrifice potential week 17 correlation for higher upside in in season stuff things like that so to me, it's, and again, like this is the only data set that we have with best ball stuff. Like 
it would be fascinating if we got puppy draft data, if we got yeah. DraftKings data, if we got um, drafters data, like all this other stuff. And you'd have to contextualize how you're sharing that, obviously, and can't just bunch it all into one. But there's just there's a lot more to it. And we're we're barely scratching the surface with it. I want to uh, circle back to kind of more of this macro construction, but along the way, I do want to make kind of a formal pit stop announcement about the best ball data bowl. You guys have heard me talk about it on best ball breakfast. You've seen some tweets in the newsletter, stuff like that. But Ben, why don't you kind of give us a little high level overview of what the best ball data bowl is, how right. it's going to work. I believe we even have an announcement of uh, a prize that you recently made. We got mm -hmm. uh, a cool shirt for all submissions. So why don't you set the table here before we talk more about best ball data in general? Right. So the best ball data bowl is basically a competition where you will have to submit either a IPython notebook or an R notebook and basically just work with uh, best ball mania data. Um, so we have data here from 2020 uh, all the way to 2022. So best ball mania one to three. Um, we've provided it for you. And basically, we're just challenging you to dig into the data and come up with some sort of actionable or unique analysis with the data. Um, it's pretty open-ended. Um, on this page here, you can see um, sort of how we're scoring uh, the submissions and stuff. We're, so, we're scoring it on like multiple axes, so like originality, um, accuracy, stuff like that. So it's pretty open-ended, but you can see here um, some of the ideas we've thrown out here is develop a new best ball strategy, um, develop maybe a new best ball specific metric like advance rates that can be adopted by the community and or, uh, you know, somewhat, you know, quantified best ball strategy. So there's a lot of ways you can take it. Um, we've left it open-ended on purpose, but here you can see on the GitHub, you can see all the descriptions of the, you know, competition stuff. And then here's sort of like a timeline. Yep. And so we got the timeline here and um, we also have the Google form to sign right. up as yep. well. Anyone who makes a real submission and I trust our, our smart panelists are going to be able to sift through a fake versus a real submission in GitHub, but you will uh, get a shirt here. Compliments of our friends over at underdog fantasy, a sick uh, best ball data bowl shirt for all participants. And uh, Ben, what are uh, right now, what are our uh, cash prizes here as well? So right now the first place prize will win a thousand dollars. That's tentatively what we have right now. Um, and then everyone who submits will get that shirt, of course. Awesome. And we might still have some stuff that we might be able to add to mm -hmm. the prize pool as we go along, but wanted to just get this underway because this stuff will take time, right? I know it took Leone yeah. months to work on his best ball manifesto. So we just want to get the gears turning, allow you guys to start thinking about this stuff, start messing around. And I think Ben, one of the other super cool things about this setup here is with the submissions as right. they come in, and this is in the spirit of GitHub, right? Everything's open yeah. source. You can go in and review other submissions. You can get ideas. And we already have a submission in here. Yep, definitely. So as you submit, or once you actually submit, it'll become public. Eventually, we'll actually have a website built off this. So your submission will be on an actual website. People can view your work. You can um, credit it. You can uh, share it with other people. Um, so everything will be public once you submit. And here, uh, Peter's going through the first submission, which was an XG boost model to predict whether or not a team was going to uh, make the playoffs, I believe. Yeah. And so we have some visualizations here um, and stuff. Yeah. 
So Sam, when you first heard about this, I know you were immediately intrigued to compete. Tell me where the wheels started turning when you first heard there was a, a data bowl going on. I mean, I think it's fantastic. The I don't know, Ben, if the, uh, the NFL's big data bowl is mm-hmm. partly inspired by this. Um, or Yeah. Um, but I haven't had a chance to compete in any of those just because I've been too busy with actual school and right. it being in the middle of the actual football season and having my content responsibilities and whatnot. So excited to dig into this. I mean, I think I've gotten familiar with the data mm-hmm. enough that I know sort of what's in there, what isn't, right. what can and can't be do with, be done with it. So how do you take that to the next level and come up with, again, to your point, something original that's not fluff or right, it's not exactly. something that's, I don't want to say farcical, but that's not really going to do much. Yeah, it it was inspired by the NFL Big Data Bowl. The one thing here is that the data is going to be significantly easier to work with. So there's a way lower barrier to entry. Um, So pretty much anyone can get started with it. Whereas with the NFL Big Data Bowl, the tracking data is notoriously hard to work with. Whereas here, it's pretty easy for people to work with. So that's great. Yeah. And I I would just say too, like, if you are, you know, interested in starting to get your hands on data and just come up with, say, say you are the person that's like, I just want to learn to code using best ball data sounds like a fun way to do that, but I don't even know where to start. I mean, if I were you, I would say, watch some best ball streams, see where the debates are happening. Like right now, the bye weeks are now in the app. That's always a huge debate. What, how much are you sacrificing if you have two tight ends with the same bye week. How about two quarterbacks with the same bye week? Really trying to quantify that. Like that would be an article I would read in a heartbeat. And I think that could be a great way for inspiration. You can listen to all kinds of debates about advance rates, about structures, and then say, oh, I think I could maybe solve that thing that, you know, two blowhards, myself and Chris Spaggs, were just arguing about with no data backing. You can go out and be the one to actually put some analytics behind it. Yeah, and going back to a point of, low barrier to entry. I think the winner of the competition will actually be someone who understands best ball content really well, as opposed to someone who's like a coding genius. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the end of the day, like the submissions, we care more about the submissions being super actionable. Um, And part of that, like part of getting your submission to be as actionable as possible is understanding sort of the landscape already and understanding if what you're actually tackling is unique. Um, so I think it's going to be easy for, or easier than the NFL big data bowl for someone with a lot of domain knowledge and best ball to come in and actually make a decent submission. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that. And Sam, I'm curious how you think about this too, because again, one of the things that's so great about Leone's best ball manifesto is how clear and actionable and simple it is. Like he takes these massive data sets is bucketing it, segmenting it, and yet comes out with very clear conclusions. And there's always the caveat, small sample size, but based mm-hmm. on that data to be able to say, Hey, drafting in the middle of the summer is better because of this. Avoiding dead roster spots is crucial because of this getting ADP value is crucial because of this like that is the thing as a consumer that i really want to read and it's you know i think with all best ball content we're trying to find these micro edges and compound them on one another i mean drafting a team at 2 a.m is not going to guarantee that i advance that team into the playoffs but drafting a team then stacking getting adp value um 
all these sorts of things that if you can compound that into one team mm -hmm. is going to increase your odds of advancing, increase your EV for that team and making sure that you're considering that when you are drafting your teams and, and reading all the content as well. Yeah. And going back to data bowl, there's obviously a lot of different facets to the game. There's bye weeks There's a lot of like peripheral stuff that, you know, not necessarily is most important, but if you tackle like one aspect of the game, like bye weeks for example, and you do that in a really like concise and actionable way, that could be a solid submission in itself, even though it's not going to win you best ball mania necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and this gets back the, the spirit of this is not for you to go in the lab and come up with a solve for best ball. Yeah. That's not the spirit of it. Not the spirit happen. of it is to have fun working with this data and giving us something provocative to think about. As a content creator, I love nothing more than when these pieces come out. And again, I remember when Osimo had his data last year about why three quarterback builds could be optimal for the playoff structure. Mm -hmm. And it like opened up how I was thinking about drafting. And then obviously Leone's too has made me think about dead roster spots in a way I was had a real blind spot to previously. And so your goal should be like, can I get a nugget in Peter's head that is tossing around in there being like, oh, maybe I need to rethink this. It doesn't have to solve it. doesn't have to change the game or be a paradigm shifter. But if you can get something that's interesting that will allow us to kind of pause and think about strategies in a new way, I think you'll be doing very well. Definitely. Um, Sam, one thing I wanted to talk about, I wanted to pull up this tweet because uh, both Ben and I had seen this, and I do think it's a really interesting concept with best ball data. I think there's kind of two big things. One is how small the sample sizes are, you know, only a few years of best ball mania data. And then there's also the concept of being predictive analysis first, you know, descriptive. And you say here, the best ball tournament analysis landscape is fascinating because it's based almost entirely on descriptive analytics compared to predictive, but the best analysts and players find ways to take trends from seasons past and creatively apply them to the current one, which I thought was a very poignant point, but I'm curious, how do you think about this? Because we all are trying to get these edges and you could just gnaw wave everything and say too small of a sample size, not actually predictive. And then I say, well, what are we supposed to do? Just pack it up and go home. So like, how do you think about this paradox with data and trying to inch forward to something that's actually actionable? Right. So there's a couple things there. So we have yep. three years of data, but as you'll see, like in the best ball data bowl uh, data that's available, there are millions of rows of data because we have every single pick that's been made data about the pick. So there's a couple things with that is, you know, do you lump BBM one, two, and three all together? Do you just do BBM three? Because even if you do clump them all together, it's going to be heavily weighted towards the results of BBM three, because that's, I mean, I think the amount of rows of data in that is like triple the size of the other two combined. Like it's, they just grew the tournament massively. And I think the other thing, which you know, Hayden wrote about in his uh, when to draft an article, uh, running back article, is he essentially split the data and said, you know, in BBM one, this is what worked in BBM two, this is what worked in BBM three, this is what worked. And that's, so there's like the splitting of data that way. And that's sort of what I get to with the descriptive versus predictive is zero RB worked tremendously last year. It didn't necessarily the year before that. And there's, I don't want to say no way to know, 
but it's very difficult to know what essentially is going to work this year because it depends on player results. Like if all the first, you know, 12 running backs that get drafted get injured in the first week, they're the zero RB method is going to be more advantageous, but you know, Leone in, in his article, they, they built a, a model, I think similar to uh, the, the best ball data submission, trying to predict, you know, what, whether a team is going to make the playoffs or not, and essentially broke down what the most important aspects of determining that is. And I think uh, had something to do with quarterback was like one of the most important things. And that very, very well could have been the thing mm-hmm. that was best last year and the year before, but who's to say that it's going to be different, I guess the same this year. I mean, we see right now quarterbacks are are flying off the board in the first two rounds, which is not what we've seen the last couple of years. So you, I can't, I don't want to say you throw it all out, but it needs that added context and everything with advance rates and roster points is okay. This two quarterback, five running back, seven receiver, two tight end build had an X percent advance rate. Well, it's okay. That worked for that year. It that's not to say it's going to work for this year. And then later on top of that, there's, Okay, were those five running backs drafted in the last five rounds? In the first five rounds, there's there are so many confounding factors to all of this that make it very difficult to say. You know, you know, you can build a model to project a player's yardage, and you know, the NFL has changed a little bit over the past several years, but largely it's it's the same game, and so you can build that predictively to predict how many yards they're going to have. But to say a two quarterback, five running back build this year has a 98% chance of advancing is very, I think, again, I don't want to say impossible yeah, because it, it could be possible, but you need to understand all the context and what's driving that. And that's kind of the crux of modeling like ever. You never know if the training data is going to generalize to the future. And I think that's that's why I made the comment that I think the data fits better for descriptive anal- analysis because yeah. the competition is always changing. The market's always changing. People are adjusting, ADP's adjusting based off what people have learned in previous seasons. So it's hard to generalize that forward. So tying that back to the competition, I think that like for people making a submission, you don't actually have to come up with a fancy model um, because we actually don't know. There's no way to verify that that's going to predict into the future. So descriptive analysis is just as good as predictive analysis in that case. And you know what's so crazy? Like, you know, thinking about it, we're talking about the sample sizes, the descriptive nature of it. And that is just to get toward optimal. That isn't even getting at exploitative strategies to getting first place in a 670,000 person tournament. That's just to get us towards what is optimal, not even then how to leverage that up to get first place. Because as we know in, in DFS, right, putting the optimal lineup in, that is not how you win a tournament. And so the fact that we're on such the bleeding edge of this stuff that we can't even for sure say we're getting to optimal, much less how to leverage the optimal to win, I think is just fascinating. Yep, it's, it's a complex question. And I think 
again, taking, you know, they built a model that is, I guess, intuitively predictive, like that's what it's intended to do. But instead of trying to take a team and understand what, um, what level of chance it has at advancing, instead looking at what contributes most to that team advancing and then applying that to, to this year's data. And, and that was sort of the, the second part of my, my tweet there is you can take the descriptive stuff and that's not saying it's useful, but how do you take that in the context of this year and, yeah. and the specific drafts that you're doing this year? Because again, last year's stuff might've said that drafting a quarterback in the first two rounds is bad, but again, we also need to recognize that that's not happening right now, or, or there are multiple quarterbacks being drafted in the first two rounds. So how does that change the math or um, how you're competing against other teams? Yeah. And I think too, what's um, fun about that stuff. And I'm now, I'm now thinking of uh, different um, problems too, is I, I like when sometimes I had like last year, I did the stuff about week 17 and a lot of it was trying to work just intuitively and logically solving the puzzle. And then to see Leone's data back that up this year was very rewarding. But there's still so many of those examples. The bye week, another one that comes up a lot, I think would be another great submission for the best ball data bowl is the stuff about taking two running backs from the same team. And in, you know, old school fantasy analysis, myself included, I would say you don't want to do that, right? Because you'd rather have two different guys who have a potential to be a running back one than just getting one running back one out of a backfield. But now the league is so different and backfields have evolved yeah. and there's different roles. And basically these guys aren't even necessarily cannibalizing each other's touches or, you know, being levered relative to the other's outcome. And so this would be another fun puzzle to solve of like, when is it okay? And you might have to bucket guys based on their type of role as, as backs. And I think this is where it gets so fun is you can get so granular and specific with this data that there just does seem like infinite amount of things you could tackle for the, even just this data bowl alone. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you mentioned it, like nobody is going to solve best ball. Like it, it, it's an impossible task to do if, if, best ball was solved, they wouldn't have the, the tournament anymore, but it's how do you, how can you, if you can solve different aspects of it? So again, and I made this point already, the show is compounding the effects of these sort of micro edges that you can think of to not necessarily reach on a guy by 20 picks, but break some ties so that you can take advantage of these trends that have borne out in the past and pray to God that they're going to bear out again this year. Yeah. And going back to what could make a good submission, I don't want to just say that, you know, the best submission is going to be completely original. Sometimes you can look at what we already know, like our intuition about how to play best ball and back it up with data. And that can be a good submission. Um, so if you, you know, tackle a problem like stacking that could work as well. Because sometimes, you know, analysis is not necessarily unique, but it gives us more confidence in our beliefs. So that can be a good place to start for most people. 
Um, I want to bring on uh, my guy, Lou Dog, at this time. You guys know him as the wizard behind uh, a lot of my video edits. You've seen him on the club, uh, formerly of Lucky Trader. Lou is in the process right now of taking the Fantasy Data Pros course, is going to cook up a submission for the Best Ball Data Bowl. Lou, uh, welcome to our Best Ball Data Roundtable. Hey, thanks for, for having me today. Yeah. How, how has it been going for you? I know how far are you through the course? Uh, I know from watching a bunch of my shows, you probably have lots of ideas for uh, for best ball data projects, but uh, where are you at with all this stuff? I just passed about halfway through the course. Okay. I think there's 10, there's 10 lessons. So I'm sure. through five of them. Um, and it's kind of cool because at the beginning of the course, it's a lot of what is Python, just sort of basic intro to Python stuff. And then as you go further along, you just get into these examples that are, hey, it's not just this like weird nerdy stuff. It's talking about fantasy football and catch rates, yards per carry, stats that makes it more interesting to go through. Um, and what I like about it as well is Ben has a video on each of these lessons where you can go through and read this all of this piece below there, or you can watch the video. You can see how he works through in Google Collab, which is where uh, we're using for the coding itself. And sometimes he'll go in there and he'll be like, hey, if you do this, it'll come up with a syntax error. If you do this, it'll come out this way. And so it's some people are more of a visual learner. Like I know I'm watching each of these videos because it, it helps me a lot. Um, and then below it has a little more of the nitty gritty more of like the kind of definitions on what each of these things are doing within the code. Um, so I really like how it breaks it out that way. Right. So the way it's organized is we have a section text, which has all the code. And then I have a video that explains and walks everyone through the code. So the section text will have a little bit more detail. And then the video, I kind of do like a broad overview and I just walk through everything. And, you know, there's certain parts that are hard to explain over text. I kind of have to show people. So that's kind of what the videos are for. And also like different people have different learning styles. So some people are more visual. Some people like to read more. So we have something for everyone pretty much. And we also have a discord uh, where people can ask questions and stuff. That's the last thing. Yeah. And I'll put all the uh, the links down in the description. And, and one thing to clarify, you don't have to take the Fantasy Data Pros course to submit to the Best Ball Data Bowl. That's open to anyone. You obviously have to follow the guidelines of with the Python or R and the things stipulated there. Yeah. But uh, we have uh, partnered here at the channel with Fantasy Data Pros and can get you guys uh, 20 25% off with promo code Pete for the courses. I'll have the link down below. I know a handful of you guys have already signed up in the past week and uh, Lou's also gonna be making some content here soon about his experience using it. So just super excited to work with you guys. I think it's like a perfect fit for my audience here on the channel who loves tackling this data, super sharp people. I know Lou experiences it firsthand in the Deposit Kingdom Discord. We got a ton of data whizzes. And you know, one of the ways you market this course as is a way to level up your Excel um, mm -hmm. skills. And that really is, I, the amount of Excel wizards that I see all the time is truly impressive. And this this is what can take you to the next level. So super excited to be partnered with you, Ben. Yeah. And uh, you know, whether it's in the Deposit Kingdom Discord, I have a Fantasy Data Pros channel, or in the Fantasy Data Pros Discord, um, I think it's a great place to talk with other people too. And you can really share ideas and, and bounce stuff off of each other. 
Definitely, definitely. And like you said, your audience is obviously very analytically minded. Best Ball Mania is just one big puzzle. And if you love solving puzzles, if you love analyzing things, programming and data science is probably for you because uh, that's basically all you do when you code. Um, so I, I definitely think it's a good fit with your audience for sure. Lou, do you have uh, any inspiration or some uh, best ball uh, data problem you're, you're thinking about tackling now that you're uh, halfway through the course? I don't know. I think it, it's funny because a lot of the thoughts that I've had were in that Leone manifesto <laughs> as well. So like my initial thought was something like, we know week 17 matters, but how much does maybe week 16 or 15 matter? Yeah. Um, but maybe it, maybe it's a week 17 thing just because I know a lot of your content's surrounded by that. I sort of want to have something connected towards yours since it's, it's your audience mainly that we're uh, marketing to anyway. So yeah, I'm kind of looking at the end goal stuff, like playoffs of uh, Best Ball Mania. I think that's where I'll be focusing. Well, one, again, I, I feel like I'm coming up with four to five ideas here just as we talk this out. But like one thing too, so Leone stuff, you know, showed obviously that game stacking is beneficial, but there's a lot of debate. And I saw it even in the course looking at correlation matrices. There's right. a lot of debate about the merits of stacking a quarterback with a running back. There's still lots of debate on how much the opposition, what about an opposition running back to a pass catching stack on the other side? I think digging in granularly to the actual, the, the, the highest are, you know, uh, correlations for specific stacks could be very interesting within those playoff weeks. Yeah, we don't actually take a stance on that, like whether or not you should stack or, or not. But we do show you the details of how to actually do that in Python. So actually come up with a correlation matrix, find the R squared. We cover all the statistical analysis that goes behind that so that you can apply it properly as well. Yeah. Um, Sam, do you have you thought about uh, if you submit what what you might be trying to tackle? Yeah, I've got a, a couple of ideas. Um, I think, you know, and again, I, th these ideas change every single day because I, I, I'm starting to get more into the, the best ball analysis uh, streets these days. But, you know, one thing I had done a couple of years ago was looking at this advance rate added. So instead of just, you know, with player advance rates, it's not always tied to that player, but is tied to the players that that player is, uh, is on the team of. So like if I'm trying to come up with a good example off the top of my head, but if LaVisca Chenault is on a bunch of teams with Travis Kelsey, LaVisca Chenault's advance rate is naturally going to be inflated because of the performance that Kelsey had. So can you essentially strip that away? What is the actual contribution that these players are having um, to their roster in a way that they're adding advance rate? Um, so that's one idea. I think another one is, again, sort of around the roster construction aspect of things of looking more at the archetype of players that you want to combine on your mm. roster. Like there are, you know, there's running backs, but there's a workhorse running back. There's a handcuff. There are change of pace backs. And does having a specific mix of those types of players or, you know, the Hunter Renfro's versus the uh, Miko Hardman's of the world, does that type of archetype change how things work for your team? Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I think there's again the the ideas I have are are changing by the minute, and, you, and you've come up with a lot to to even just bounce off of. And I think your point earlier about reading other content or, or watching other content to see what others are talking about or are interested in that don't necessarily have the, the skills to explore that sort of stuff is, is the best way to come up with an idea. Yeah. Even, even as you talk about things that like, here, I'll toss out another idea. Um, you know, one thing we've seen year after year as rookie breakouts are one of the kind of skeleton keys to basically all fantasy. They, you know, tend to outperform their draft costs more than any other cohort of player. But if you push that to the extreme and you drafted 18 rookies, in your draft, that would not end well. You would not advance the playoffs. So I want to know where is that equilibrium? How many rookies is too many? You know, if you were just to hit on two, but you took six of them, but they ended up being the Kenneth Walker and Garrett Wilson, is that enough to offset the four dead ones that don't hit? Like finding that, I think, would be a really fun um, project. And also that applies to, say, injured and suspended players. Like when do those guys truly become values? Right now, Javante Williams is a huge debate. You know, at what point? If he misses six games, is he a good value in the eighth round? If he were to miss 10, you know, where is that break-even point? I feel like that stuff could be really ripe for looking at data. Um, I want to bring in here uh, another uh, guest here. This is Josh Lee. He's head of analytics at the Undroppables. And uh, we got on, or he got on my radar because I know he's going to be submitting to the Best Ball Data Bowl, also streaming a lot of drafts. So, uh, Josh, welcome to the stream. Thanks for having me on, Pete. Uh Good to meet all of you guys. Uh, super excited to to talk about uh, my best ball available submission uh, a little bit today, um, and uh, get into get into what we're uh, what we're analyzing for the best ball mania competition. Yeah, why don't let, let's not bury the lead. What are you uh, What are you working on? Like, what status is it at right now? Uh, let people know what you're cooking up. Yeah, right now we're still in kind of like the exploratory phase. I mean, like, there's a lot of data that's been given to us. Um, I mean, the best ball mania data, that data set is massive. There's a ton of different ways which we can split and analyze the data. Um, and kind of the first thing which I did when I was looking at the data was um, basically just like confirming everything that I've been reading up. Uh, so like the value of stacking, the value of ADP value, the value of starting drafts with uh, a bunch of wide receivers and fading the running back position. I, th I think we know from best ball mania three that zero RB was optimal and not drafting your first running back until the seventh, eighth round uh, was the best or optimal way to play best ball mania last year. Um, but as I was like analyzing these different strategies, I kept noticing that there were specific players that you could draft at each of the spots that made the strategy optimal. So like, okay, mm -hmm. elite tight end was, was, was very, was, was optimal because of Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey dominated the tight end position last year. So if you drafted Kelsey, that's going to tell you retrospectively that drafting elite tight end is the way that you should be drafting. Um, zero RB was super viable last year because of guys like Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Stevenson. Those were guys that you could get in the seventh, eighth, ninth, even 10th rounds. Um, so to be able to get those guys and anchor your running back room with those guys while also stacking the elite wide receivers at the top of the draft was the optimal way to sort of play that game. The market has since shifted, um, and we, we're seeing as the ADPs are starting to uh, become a little bit baked with, I know we're only in May right now, so it's still very, very early on, but one thing I've noticed is receivers are pushed way up the board. 
they're being drafted extremely, extremely early. The quarterbacks are being drafted extremely early as well. And the running backs are kind of getting pushed further and further down the board. So I kept asking myself, like, what is going to be the optimal draft strategy this year? So one thing which I have been diving into a little bit more this season is, um, okay, like, let's, let's look at from previous seasons. If you drafted a specific player, how much does your win rate or your expected advance rate improve if you draft a very specific player? So, like, let's take Justin Jefferson, for example. Um, Justin Jefferson last season, if you drafted only just Justin Jefferson, your playoff odds over expectation was 54%. So that's yeah. a 54% additional playoff odds just by drafting that single player. Or if you drafted, let's say, a Jonathan Taylor, uh, obviously he didn't perform very well last year. He's 53 points under expectation for playoff odds. But, like, let's say you still want to draft that elite running back in the first round. Let's say, like, you drafted Christian McCaffrey. Even he had a 25% over expectation. So, like, I think it's less so about which strategy that you go. You don't want to tie yourself into a specific strategy whenever you're in a draft room. You want to basically be adjust, adjusting to how the market, how your draft room is drafting. And as value falls, as players fall, you want to be targeting specific players in your draft that you think are going to, are, that are mispriced. So that's that's the big thing which I've been doing this offseason is, like, identifying the players that are mispriced and then basically reducing my risk as much as possible going into the draft and then drafting my teams that way. So that's kind of what I've been analyzing and that's my plan for the submission for the best ball data bowl. That's awesome. I'm super excited about that. And I do think the kind of dynamic you're describing, and again, it's one of the reasons why the way these best ball tournaments are structured is so interesting because you will hear a lot about advance rate data for the regular season. And like you said, Travis Kelsey, elite tight end, obviously smashed. A lot of the other early tight ends last year failed in the regular season. Then we saw George Kittle have one of the highest playoff advance rates because he came on really strong in weeks 16 or 15 and 16 and got a lot of teams to the finals. And then you go back to this again, push pull where it's like, Oh, the common denominator is an elite tight end, but that elite tight end because of the volatility might have a really low regular season advance rate, but might supercharge you with a low owned guy at a low scoring position and be the guy you need to win. And then you're balancing this idea of, should I invest this capital at a position that might not pay off one through 14, but might literally be the guy I need to win 3 million. And that's why this is such a complicated and fun puzzle. Yeah, um, that's, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head right there because, uh, there's, so like the way that I've been trying to like answer these, these, these problems is like by building like some pretty powerful machine learning models. So like, I'm, I'm trying to identify the mispriced players by looking at it from like a regular season points, total points output perspective. And then I'm also planning to build another model that looks at like, spike week probabilities um like the it, it would basically be a probability and then it would be a rank order metric for what players are most likely to have a week that's where they score over 30 points um so like being able to like blend these two uh these two problems together um I, it's still a project i'm working on but um, I, I have a few a few months before i have to have to submit anything to the best ball data bowl but i'm gonna be hard at work for the next two months Love it. Ben, as we kind of hear, you mentioned it a bit when we were talking about the submission process, right. but let's maybe as we wrap up here, touch again on what are the things we think make a good 
submission. Because like you said, you could be the best coder in the world, but if you don't understand best ball and you don't understand the problems that drafters are trying to solve for, you're probably not going to have a chance in this. So what if you could dream up like a, a perfect submission, what do you think it would look like? Yeah, like I said earlier, I think the winner of the competition is going to be someone who has like that good foundational knowledge in best ball and is familiar with the current analysis that's going on. So Josh, he's mentioned that he started out by getting accustomed to a lot of the different analysis that's going on right now. I think that's a good place to start for most people. Um, but a really good submission for us is just something that's technical, obviously, like it, you're going to have to apply some models maybe, um, but at the end of the day, it has to be actionable. So at the end of the day, you have to communicate your findings in a way that can be communicated to people who don't necessarily understand what XG boost is. But you have to take away some sort of, you know, insight that can be applied while people are drafting and stuff. Um, so at the end of the day, that's the most important um, aspect, I think. Um, in terms of your like actual submission, I would say try to, you know, elaborate a lot. Like when you're actually making the notebooks, like write a lot of text, um, explaining your findings, uh, use a lot of visuals, something that can really pop out to people so that they can understand your analysis, not just technical people. Yeah. Sam, what, what kind of stuff do you get? Cause do you ever have, like you put a chart out and I, I've definitely had this experience where I'm like, I can tell this chart is smart. I can tell you spent a lot of time working on it, but I don't know what the X and Y axis mean. I don't know what the plots mean. Like, how do you balance this idea of, you know, presenting data and essentially showing your work, but making sure people can actually distill it into a, a single actionable point? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, full disclosure, I'm not on the, the judging panel for this. So take, you take might my be, word Sam, with the grain of salt. But it is that explaining it to the, to the lay person, I guess I'll, I'll put it is, can the non-technical person understand the insight? I mean, I think the best way to do is just like literally just show it to a friend, someone who understands best ball enough that they understand sort of what you're talking about. But uh, sorry, my <laughs> is uh, whining a little bit here. Um, give it to someone else and say, does this make sense to you? Like, what are you taking away from it? And if they don't get it, you don't need to go back to the drawing board, but just try to figure out how you're explaining it specifically. Um, and then having enough of the technical explanation, I think too, for, for those people where you, you don't need to explain what an XG boost model is, but explain what it does and sort of why it's useful for this type of analysis. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I'll, I'll make myself available in the Discord. I have the Fantasy Data Pros channel. Or you can DM me if you want to say, hey, do you think this would be something interesting? Because I, I do think I'm probably a pretty good barometer. Like, would I talk about this interesting piece uh, that you were working on on stream because it might help people draft? I think that's a pretty good barometer for a good submission. And so if you want to bounce an idea off of me, I'm guessing anyone even here on the show would, would lend you an ear and give you some feedback. And that's what's the beauty, too, of the whole GitHub stuff. You can review these submissions. Like, I don't think it has to be some hidden thing. Like, if you post your GitHub submission and someone rips it off, we're going to know. We know the order that it's posted in. So you don't have to worry about that stuff. I do really think us sharing ideas, building off of each other is really what will get us to the next level with all of this uh, best ball data. So 
I'm super looking forward to seeing all of your guys' submissions about talking about it. Like I said, if you guys are interested in the Fantasy Data Pros, you can get 25% off with promo code Pete. You can hop in there with Lou Dog. Lou's going to have some more videos coming out as well. So I appreciate you guys all uh, joining us. I think we'll have to you know, reconvene here maybe in a month or so, see where people's submissions are at, see uh, where things are headed. But I don't know about you guys, but just I felt you know, for a few months now that this was going to be such a massive summer for best ball. And the fact that we now have an ecosystem that can support a freaking best ball dateable is just uh, incredible. So Ben, thank you for cooking up uh, this idea and uh, bringing us all together for this. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Very excited. Sam, any parting shots, anything people can look forward to from you over on four for four, as far as best ball content. Yeah. Uh, I'll have something out either tomorrow or, Thursday, today, Tuesday. Um, again, I, I tease a little bit, but it's it sort of expanding on the, the draft curve idea that Leone had put in his uh, best ball manifesto. And then a bunch of other stuff uh, coming in the next couple of weeks. We do have, again, I, I, I'm aligned the descriptive nature of best ball analysis, but we do have uh, our rust construction and, and advanced rate explorers on for four that are both free for now. Uh, so take a look at those and yeah, everything else of mine, you'll, you'll find on my Twitter. And Lou, if, uh, if people are taking the course and want to bounce ideas off of you, I, I assume you'll be hanging in the fantasy data pros channel a bit. Uh, you're going to be wrapping up the course and, uh, anything else, uh, coming up on your radar. Yeah. I'm in both those discords, uh, deposit kingdom as well, and hopefully be able to make some graphics for you to help with some of your streams on best ball breakfast uh or any of your 150 streams so hoping to potentially if you have specific ideas that you want to get something quick out um hopefully be able to help you with those as well yeah if, if you know like uh, i'm one to be willing to be navel gazy if you want to do a data thing about my live stream data about my drafting tendencies, you know, knock yourself out. You probably can reveal some pretty disgusting things about my drafting habits, like taking way too much Kyle Pitts. Um, Josh, where can people find you? I know you've been streaming some of your drafts on the Undroppables YouTube channel, and you're going to kind of continue to feather in a conversation about your best ball uh, research. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, all of my live streams are going to be available on the Undroppables YouTube and then also on the Undroppables Twitter. And then uh, my best ball, dateable stuff, I'll be posting stuff at Joshua Jayhyun on Twitter. Uh, Jayhyun spelled J-A-E-H-Y-U-N. Awesome. I am going to include links to all of this stuff in the show notes to the best ball dateable, the submission page, to the Fantasy Data Pros course, to the discords, to Josh and Sam and Undroppables and 4 for 4 So you'll have all of those resources down below. I'll also post this on my podcast feed too if you're listening to audio, although I do recommend uh, checking out some of the visuals there um, that we pulled up on the stream. I think it will help kind of generate some ideas. Uh, excited to see what you guys come up with. We are truly in the golden age of best ball and best ball data analytics. Can't wait to see which one of you takes down the inaugural best ball data ball. So for Ben, for Sam, Josh, Lou, I'm Pete. Good luck out there. Excited to see what you come up with.